In Acts chapter 10, I want to just deal with today a uh, pretty much the whole chapter. We're not going to take time to read the whole chapter, but I want to deal with a subject that you don't see necessarily jump off the page, but when you read it, the theme begins to unfold a little bit. And uh, it is this. It is how prayer creates an atmosphere for change. How prayer creates an atmosphere for change. I'll maybe shift this down just slightly. Is that a little better? Not as loud, not as piercing. All right. Uh, and and uh, just as I was reading in Acts chapter 10, this, this theme, this thought began to unfold and just began to pray about how I might be able to communicate this to you as well, because I believe that what God desires to do is He desires to bring about change in our lives, not only individually, but also in the life of us as a church. Uh, not change for change's sake. You don't change just to change, just to mix it up. But there is a purpose in change, and many times we, we don't realize that the purposes that God is trying to fulfill in our lives as he seeks to change situations he seeks to change us on the inside and as a church maybe he begins to change our focus a little bit and change our our direction or at the very least change it maybe we've gotten off course we need to get back on course and so that's a change as well that has to happen i'm just curious today how many of you hate change Anybody? Come on, be honest. Come on, nobody's going to come down there and, and smack you for it. All right? Change! We, most of us are creatures of habit, aren't we? Now, a lot of times we take the same route to work. One, because it might be the, the best and the fastest way to get there. But at other times, you know, you, you take a different route to work and all of a sudden you get a little mixed up. You get a little turned around and you think, I can't do this. Maybe you run into more traffic and you say, aha, this is the reason why I go the same way every day. In fact, some of you sit in the same pews. We could all just shift today. I'm kidding. Stay where you are. Let's not create mayhem today. But, you know, we, we tend to pick our pew and that's our pew. I remember a number of years ago when we were in the building on Irving Park Road. There was, in this church, it had been a lumber company that had been converted to a church. The back of the building was the sanctuary. Most, most of you, about half of you at this point, remember that. The other half, you were never there. But there was this column right in the middle of the room. And obviously, when the church prior to us, they realized we could put a seat right there. They got one of those little pews. And, you know, it was just a little pew. It was like a little throne. And I don't know if any of you remember Benny. Benny, who was a part of this congregation for many years, that was Benny's pew. And you dare not take Benny's pew. Nobody dare. I didn't dare. I, Pastor Impaglia, he didn't dare touch it. That was Benny's pew. She marked that when we moved into that building. That was her pew. She sat there until the day that she had health trouble and had to leave and, and was gone. But, but that was, the, you know, you, you get into a habit. Most of us, 
would honestly probably confess, we don't like too much change. I don't know about you, being the, the northern Maine boy that I am, I realized how much I love this weather. This is summer weather up in Maine where I come from. This is the kind of weather I love, and this is great, but it's a change. We've had hot weather. Now the fall is coming. There's the change, and then the winter. We don't much like that because we all have to shovel, but we don't much like all of these changes. As much as we don't like change, God has a purpose in the change. And in fact, God desires to change us more and more into His image every single day. How many of us know that we don't look just like Jesus yet? That we're not there yet? That we haven't quite arrived at the place where we're supposed to arrive yet? And so change has to take place on a daily basis. God wants us to be changed. We read it Tuesday night. Though the outward man is perishing, the inner man is being renewed day by day. That signifies some kind of a change. But Acts chapter 10 is one of those chapters where change is all over the place. And that is the first thing that, that jumped out at me at, at what it was that God was trying to do. God was bringing about a change not only in two people's lives, but also the life of the church. And I find this to be significant. Because for us, we're here today, all of us are individuals. We go about our daily lives and we go about doing different things. Some of you work at one job or another and we don't necessarily all share the same careers. We don't all share the same, same places where we live. We come from different communities and neighborhoods and all of those things together. But as, as individuals, that's, those are our lives. But we all come here and we collect together around a common purpose and a common goal, and it is to make Christ known, that Jesus Christ would be lifted up in the world that we live in, and yet what God desires to do in all of our lives is bring about change. For those of you who hate it, get ready for it. It's not going to be a bad thing. It's not going to be something that's going to just completely turn your life upside down. In fact, it is something that will cause your life to be better for the kingdom of God, and we're going to see how God did that in the life of two people, and then in the life of the church. I'd like you now to just start at verse 1. At verse 1, I'm going to read, and we're going to go down through to verse 7. And then a little bit later on, we're going to read a little bit about what God does for Peter. And really, in the end, Peter is the one individual that God wants to work on in Acts chapter 10. God's going to work in Peter. He's going to do some stuff in this man that's going to change him forever. And it's going to cause him to do something incredible for the kingdom of God. Now, let's start reading at verse 1. The Bible says at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. A centurion was a, a soldier, a Roman soldier, who was over 100 other soldiers. He was a commanding officer over 100 soldiers. The Italian regiment, it seems, probably was made up of about 600 men. But notice something about this centurion. He and all his family, the Bible says, were devout and God-fearing according to the light that they had. The only light up to this point they had was the Old Testament. They were around Jews 
constantly and consistently. They had been affected by the Old Testament or the Old Covenant, the law, so much so that as a Roman soldier, he accepted it. Now, this doesn't necessarily make him a believer in Christ. He hadn't heard about Jesus yet. But the Bible says, with according to the light that he had, here's what he was. The Bible says, not only him, and his, but also his family were devout and God-fearing. Now listen to what he does with all of that. The Bible says he gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. I want you to see that, underline it, look at it, stamp it, do something with it, get it into your heart. He prayed regularly. This is a man, he doesn't know Jesus yet, remember, hasn't been revealed to him what Jesus did on the cross, but he, what he knew about Yahweh or Jehovah God, he knew that he wanted to devote himself to him. And that's exactly what he did. And he took time to pray regularly. It was not just something he did haphazardly. It wasn't something that he just decided he was just, you know, every now and then he was going to do. But the Bible says that he prayed regularly. Let's go on. It says, one day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. And this would have been one of the times of, of Jewish prayer, and he seemed to follow along with it as he was praying. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God. He came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. The angel answered, your prayers, I want you to see this too. Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Prayer works, brothers and sisters. When we are praying to God, it works. It goes up before God. The Bible says here, now send men, send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius took two of his servants and a devout soldier who was, uh, who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. We're going to stop reading right there just for a moment because we need to understand a little bit of what's taking place here. In this moment, he's gone to pray. He's in the moment of prayer. And now God is getting ready to do something. Brothers and sisters, prayer always creates the atmosphere of change. It always brings about a change when we pray. Listen, your prayer is not just some kind of a you know, thing to cleanse your soul. Oftentimes, I don't know about you, from time to time, you see in Time and Newsweek and some of these other national magazines, they'll, they'll do some big segment on prayer and how prayer, you know, it helps us and it's, you know, it's cathartic and it just, you know, it does something for the soul. Listen, brothers and sisters, when it all comes down to it, the prayer of the saint is to affect the kingdom of God. Your prayer as a believer in Christ is to bring about change, not only in your life, but also in the lives of other individuals who need to know Jesus Christ as Savior. Prayer is something that this man did. And this is one of the things that we want to look at about how, what kind of prayer creates an atmosphere of change. First of all, it is consistent prayer. Consistent prayer. 
If you are consistent, this is not something, listen, that we can just sort of do on our own from time to time and just say, well, you know, I prayed last week. I don't need to pray this week. The Bible says he prayed regularly. And if he was following the schedule of the Jews and what it was that they did, he was praying at least three times a day. Three times. Not once. Most of us have trouble squeezing five minutes out in a day. You say, well, it was a different time. How do we know what time it was then? How do we know that life was somehow... We, we imagine life being simpler then. I can't imagine it being simpler. It took you forever to get from, you know, one place to another place that was 10 miles away. Today, it takes us, you know, 8 to 10 minutes to get there. It was, it was, it was complicated. Life was complicated. And yet, they found time to pray. Cornelius was a man who set himself apart to pray. He prayed on a regular basis. Brothers and sisters, can I appeal to you today for consistent prayer? If we're going to see God do anything in this place, as a church, as a body of believers, if we are going to see God do great and mighty things, it's not going to be with cleverness. It's not going to be with important programs and, and other ideas and things that we can implement. As good as some of those things are, it is going to be when we begin to call upon God on a regular basis and not just cry out in some sort of desperate act, but begin to pray in faith, believing that God is going to meet the need, not only of my life and your life, but of the lives of individuals that we come in contact with. God is calling us to consistent prayer. Some of you maybe throughout your life and throughout the, the past, maybe the past few months, the past years, you've been as inconsistent as they come when it comes to prayer. It's like God gets the last little bit of what you have on your plate. Don't serve God the leftovers. You offer Him the whole plate. Let's let the rest of the day get the leftovers if you have to. We need to have consistent prayer and call upon God on a regular basis. This is what Cornelius did. And as a result of this, as a result of this kind of praying, God was go about ready to begin to do something that He had up to this point not done in the church. Think about that for a minute. Something new is about to happen in Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10 is a pivotal point. It is where we swing around in a whole new direction and we find something that God is going to begin to do because up to this point, folks, it's been all about Jewish believers. When the Holy Spirit was poured out, it was poured out upon Jewish believers. When the Holy Spirit, when it spilled out of the upper room, out into the, the crowd, people from all over the world came, but they were Jews from other parts of the world. They spoke other languages. They, they, they had other native tongues, all of those things, but they were there. They were Jews. They had come together for the Feast of Pentecost. They were there to celebrate a Jewish feast, a Jewish holiday. But now when we get to Acts chapter 10... God starts dealing with and speaking to a Gentile. God is about to do something absolutely new in the kingdom of God. And brothers and sisters, isn't it time that we begin to just say, you know what, enough with the same old, same old. 
enough saying that we're, you know, we're fine the way we are. Look, I don't want to rock the boat. I don't want things to get too different around here. I don't, I don't want things to change too much. Listen, we don't want to change anything for change's sake. But we want God to come down and to begin to change what it is that He desires to change. And in that, we need something new in our place. So this is a pivotal point. This is a Roman centurion. This isn't a, a Jewish uh, a, a man. This is, this is a man who is outside of the house of Israel. Though he is, it doesn't seem he was a proselyte. He had gone the whole way and, and given himself to Judaism and in that sense would have been known as a, a Jew. But no, it, he, was just, he was a man who was devout. He wanted God. He recognized that God was revealed in the Old Testament. He recognized that there was someone there that he ought to honor and worship and serve and give himself to. And so he prayed on a regular basis. It's consistent prayer that's going to count. Now let's jump down to Peter for a minute. And I want you to also see Peter's consistency. Because it wasn't just Cornelius. It was Peter as well. Now all of this time he prays. He has this vision. Cornelius does. And Cornelius is is in active mode. He is, he is following the command of God. He is following what God told him to do. And God said, I want you to send for this guy by the name of Peter. I want you to go get him. He's in Joppa. I, I give you the address. He's right there. You go and you get him. Now, all this time, Peter doesn't know about this. This is the power of prayer. This is the awesome power of prayer and what God, when God responds to your prayer, He begins to work, He begins to move even though other people don't understand what He's doing. He begins to work behind the scenes. This is why we can never give up praying. We can never give up praying and believing for God to deliver the answer to His people because when it all comes down to it, you might pray tonight and God will begin to do something as a result of that prayer that you never would have dreamed of, that in your mind, in your wildest dreams, you couldn't have imagined. Cornelius prayed regularly. He had no idea what was about to happen. But now he's sending guys for Peter. Peter doesn't know it, but... The next day, Peter is, you know, as these guys are on their way to Joppa, they're just outside the city. The Bible says that he, they had just arrived. Listen to what it says, starting at chapter uh, 10, verse 9. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. This seems also to be a common event for Peter. Not necessarily as we see it in this particular passage, but we know that from earlier in the book of Acts, we have already been introduced to Peter, and we've already been introduced to the fact that he would go up to the temple to pray. He and other disciples, other apostles would take time to pray. So we already know he was in the habit, but this is important. He became hungry, wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Now here's Peter, the Jew, immediately saying, surely not, Lord. Peter replied, I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. Now, you want to talk about change, 
God had to do some incredible changes in Peter's life. But Peter also put himself in the atmosphere for change. He went up to the rooftop, the Bible says, to pray. You see, when God's got something good and wonderful to do in your life, prayer puts you in a position to be able to learn the lesson and receive all that God has for you. It puts you in that place to be able to take what it is that God has for your life and bring about a change so that you can be as much for the kingdom as you possibly can. So he's on his way up, he goes up and he's praying. He went up to the rooftop, the implication here is, is that he prayed also consistently. I cannot stress it enough how important this first step is in helping to create an atmosphere for change, that we pray on a consistent basis, that it isn't just something that you do from time to time when you're in a crisis. Look, a lot of Christians have crisis praying, but we need consistent praying. It's not just in the bad times that you got to call upon the name of the Lord. It's also in the good times. It's also when things are going well and, you know, life seems to be okay and there are no problems and no difficulties and everything is right and, and good. Those are the times that we need to say, Lord, I'm going to come to you. I'm going to call upon your name. I'm going to cry out to you and reach out for more of you. Those are the times that God is able to come down and do something great. We don't see Peter having any other crisis at that moment other than at about noon, Peter was hungry. He said, well, we're approaching almost noon now. You had to mention that. I'm getting hungry now too. Stomach starts to growl a little bit. Person sitting next to you wonder what all the noise is next to him. Realize you're hungry. But noon was not the typical time for their meal at that point. Oftentimes within the Jewish culture, they would have a, a late morning, uh, a light late morning meal and then have a mid-afternoon heavier meal. So this was sort of an uncharacteristic time for Peter to be hungry, but notice that God takes his hunger and uses it to teach an important lesson. And, and he was ready and willing to be able to receive the lesson because he had taken time out to pray. We don't know. God could probably do it at any other point. But I see in this passage and in this all the way through that, that both Cornelius and Peter were praying. And it was those points where God came down and begin, began to do something great to bring about change for the kingdom of God. All of a sudden, a sheet he sees come down out of heaven, held by the four corners and full of all kinds of animals and birds and reptiles, some probably known as clean, but the implication is, is that they were full of unclean animals according to the law of Moses. All of a sudden, a voice says, go ahead, Peter, kill. Eat. You're hungry? Go ahead. But Lord, wait a minute. Don't I see a pig in there? The law says, I don't eat that. The law says, I can't have that. Go ahead. Reptiles. A little rattlesnake for you. Uh, if you've ever eaten it, I can't imagine it. <laughs> there are those who do. I'm not one of them and won't. But Lord, unclean. It's unclean. I can't eat that. Three times this happened. 
And God has a lesson for Peter. God is about to tear down the walls of prejudice. He is about to tear down the walls that cause him to stand and say, no, I can't associate with Gentiles. I can't eat with them. I can't be with them. You see, a Gentile could potentially come into the home of, of, of a Jew and it would sort of be okay, though it was sort of frowned upon, but at least within the Jewish home, they would be able to control the, the dietary laws of the Old Testament and put it into effect in that home. They would be, put a meal in front of them that was according to the law. But God is about to take Peter out of a Jewish home and put him right smack dab in the middle of a Gentile's home to share a meal. A meal of God knows what. Who knows what's going to be served at Cornelius' house. So God has a lesson for Peter at this point and wants to teach him something that is important and that is wonderful. And this is the next step to creating an atmosphere of how prayer creates an atmosphere of change. And it is this. It is conversational prayer. What I mean by conversational prayer is prayer is not just a one-way street for you. Prayer is bi-directional, right? You've got God on one end and you've got us on the other end and we're going to meet. And God does not stay silent. God wants to speak. God wants to say something. God has something important for you to hear and to listen to. And a lot of times our prayer turns into, Lord, bless me, help me, do this for me. Lord, I need this, I need this, I need this. Boop, time for work. Done. Amen. And we go, wait, we haven't heard a thing. God's heard everything. But he, we've got to hear what it is that God has to say. Now, in this moment, this prayer, this prayer that Peter is taking part in is bi-directional. It's happening in both directions. Peter falls into this trance as he's praying and he sees this vision of all of these, these animals that are against the dietary laws of the Old Testament come down and a voice says, go ahead, Peter, kill and eat. No, I can't do that, Lord. Let's read it. The Bible says this, verse 15, the voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything, here it is, here's the lesson, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times and immediately the sheep was taken back to heaven. Now notice this next verse, 17. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. What a coincidence. I don't think it's a coincidence at all. No, this is God. Oh, just as Peter's sitting there saying, now what did that mean? Don't call, don't call anything impure and unclean that, that God has designated. What, what, what is, what's going on? Peter's sitting there wondering about it. And sure enough, boom, right at the door. Here come these Gentiles. Not a big deal for them to come to the house. But what they're about to propose is going to change the church forever. And it will change Peter's life and ministry forever as well. The Bible goes on and it says this, verse 18, They called out asking if Simon 
who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. Now here's the Holy Spirit again. Here is the bi-directional prayer. Here is that prayer. It's not talking to God. It is talking with God. It is God coming down, saying something to you, giving you direction, telling you which way to go. Important things are about to come from the, the mouth of God to Peter. And it is this. Peter... I want you to go with them. You're not going to stay here. You're going to go with them. They're going to ask you to go with them. You go. And in sure enough, they reveal they've come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who's respected by all the Jewish people. And, and they recount what took place in Cornelius' house. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guest. Now the next day, they started out with them. Peter started out with them, the Bible says. Verse 24, the following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. Why was Cornelius expecting them? Because the Lord spoke to him. Brothers and sisters, I recognize today that we can pray one direction, we can give it all to the Lord, but it is those things that God begins to speak to your heart that you can have an expectancy that it's going to happen. Look, earlier we read where the angel, all he said was, go get Peter. He didn't say Peter was coming. He didn't tell him Peter's going to come with him. But you know what? When God says, go get somebody, you better rest assured he's already prepared the heart of the individual. He's already spoken to that person, and they're going to come with them. We can expect God to do great things when not only are we lifting our prayer to the Lord, but we are listening to what God has to say. This is something the apostles did very well. You don't need to turn over there, but over in Acts chapter 15 and verse 28, as they're writing the letter to the Gentiles in response to what took place at the end of Acts chapter 10, they're writing to them about what are certain things that they need to be concerned about as, as Gentile Christians. Listen to the phrase that is used. It says this, It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. How did they know what the Holy Spirit said unless they're listening in prayer? Brothers and sisters, we've got to listen. Not only have consistent prayer, but begin to have conversational prayer. Begin to open up our spiritual ears and hear what it is that God has to say through His Word and through the Holy Spirit being present in your life. He's going to speak to your heart and He's going to give you direction to bring about change in the kingdom of God. Now, if prayer is also conversational, and we're willing to hear what God has to say, then prayer that creates an atmosphere of change will at times be confrontational. What do I mean by that? Well, more than anybody else in this passage, Peter's heart has to be prepared to enter a Gentile's home. God had to confront Peter through prayer. And he had to confront Peter with a whole lot of stuff. You know, for, for Cornelius, it wasn't so much. He was a Gentile. He wasn't hung up on all the laws. He wasn't hung up on all the dietary laws and associating with Gentiles. And we're going to see exactly what Peter, Peter indicates as he walks into the room. This is really 
probably not the thing to say as you walk into a room, but God used it in, in Peter's life as well. But God had to change Peter. He had to show him that now under the new covenant, there is grace. We're no longer under law, Paul says, but we are under grace for those who will pursue trying to go after fulfilling some of the Old Testament laws, even in this day day and age of grace. All I can say is the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. God had a work to do in Peter's life, and he does it through prayer. He lets down all of these, these animals as he sees in this vision. Go ahead, kill Peter. Peter, and eat this stuff. No, Lord, I can't do that. I've never eaten anything unclean. I've been a good good Jew throughout my life. I have done what the old covenant told me to do. I have carried it out. But Lord, what are you trying to say? What I'm trying to say is simply this. What I've called clean and pure, don't you call impure and unclean. And brothers and sisters, if there is ever a day and age that we need to hear this message again and again, we need to look in our society in this day and age where we still have, you know, after all these years, we still have racism. After all these years, we still have prejudice. After all these years and all of these advances that we have made still around, it's still out there. The nonsense, the sin is still there. But I'm here to let you know, brothers and sisters, God does not in any way show favoritism. And this is the message that Peter is about to arrive at in his heart. Why? Because God confronts him in prayer. Brothers and sisters, there are times that there are things in our lives that shouldn't be there. You know what? Prayer can be confrontational. The Holy Spirit can come down and He can begin to point at things in your life that shouldn't be there. And He will confront you and tell you, you know what? That has to change. He's about to tell Peter, Peter, your attitude toward the Gentiles has to change. Because I want you to go and preach to them. Because I want to bring them into the kingdom. Let's jump down now. Let's move on down to verse... uh, Go to verse 27. Peter arrives at Cornelius' house. Cornelius was expecting him. And when you pray, when you pray consistently and God speaks to you, you can expect... God to do great things. You can have have an expectancy in your heart for good things. But listen to what it says in verse 27. Talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. Imagine this. This This was like the first back to church Sunday ever. I don't know if it was a Sunday. Who knows what day it was. But here now Cornelius so expected Peter to agree to come He's called together a whole group of people, and and here they are waiting in a room for Peter. Now, listen to what Peter says, verse 28. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. Now, he's standing in the middle of a room full of Gentiles. And Peter says, By the way, just so you know, (laughs) it's against our law for me to be here against the law but you know what he said listen listen how sensitive peter was 
to, his, to the prayer and to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Listen to what he says. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. It wasn't just about the food the guy was going to have to eat at Cornelius' house. It was about how he viewed Gentiles. How all of the Jews viewed the Gentiles at that point. They weren't supposed to be in this house. They weren't supposed to associate with them because in their minds, the Gentiles were unclean. God tore down the walls, brothers and sisters. And in prayer, God will tear down the walls to bring about change for the kingdom of God. Let's move on. Verse 29. So when I was sent for... I came without raising any objection. Good for you, Peter. May I ask why you said, get this, Peter still doesn't know why he's there. <laughs> Which to me, putting that against Acts chapter 2, where Peter immediately as he goes out, and when he is confronted by a large crowd of people who are basically saying, all oh, these people speaking in other tongues, they're drunk. It's, it, you know, what's going on? And Peter immediately raises his voice and he preaches a sermon. Opportunity is there. He sees it. He's standing in the middle of a room. And he still doesn't quite get it yet. But this is the mercy and the grace of God. God is about to reveal it because now this, the whole purpose is going to be revealed in his heart as Cornelius recounts, and that's what takes place, in verses 30 through 33, he recounts how the Lord showed up to him and said, go get Peter. He's got something to tell you. And all of a sudden, verse 34, Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. I realize now, now all of a sudden Peter gets it. Oh yeah, opportunity knocks here. I've got to preach. All of a sudden he realizes, duh, I need to, to preach the word of the Lord. You ever have one of those moments where you're confronted by somebody and they're just opening up the door to hear the message of the gospel? They've opened it up wide and you're still standing, Lord, I don't know what I'm here for. I don't know why I'm here. And they're talking about religion and they're talking about God and they're talking about all kinds of things, but not from a Christian you know, perspective and just from their own you know, whatever they've made up in their worldview, and you're sitting there, you still don't get it. You know, there are times where we don't, and all of a sudden, Peter wakes up and realizes, oh yeah, this is why I'm here. I'm here because God doesn't care where we came from, who we are, what position in life we were, what nationality we are, what race we are, what ethnic group we are. He doesn't care about all of that stuff. All the stuff that we men and women get hung up on, we human beings are worried about on a daily basis. God doesn't even care about that. What He cares about is what's happening on the inside of your soul. And in that moment, Peter begins to preach and he begins to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with a a room full of hungry people. Brothers and sisters, I realize you might not think it, but the world is hungry for the reality of the cross of Jesus Christ. Listen, I don't care how many politicians, they will come and they will go. And listen, in the end, they will not fix what's happening on the inside of man's soul. The only one who can fix it is Jesus. He's the only one. He is the only one. 
he had to be confronted with his understanding of God's grace. And in that moment, he begins to preach. Now I want you to get this. Jump down now to verse 44. And here's where God changes not only... God's already worked in Cornelius. He's already effected change in Peter, much needed change. I didn't have time to get into all of the changes in Peter's life and all of the nuances of this. But what took place in Peter's life in this moment comes to a head where he realizes, I'm here to preach the gospel. And God's no respecter of persons. God, God has not just called the Jews. He's also called all men, all men everywhere that they would be saved. And so now Peter is preaching and Peter's in the middle of his sermon. And listen to what happens. While Peter was still speaking these words the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers, that was the Jews, who had come with Peter, were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. Notice this. We have in this one verse of Scripture instant salvation and a baptism in the Holy Spirit. How do we know it was the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Here it is. The gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, verse 46, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Imagine that. Now all of a sudden the Gentiles were coming into the kingdom of God. This hadn't happened up to this point. All the way up through to the end of chapter 9, we only see Jewish believers. But God said, no, 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 this isn't just for the Jews. This is for everybody. This is for all mankind. And what God was about to do was to bring something new in the church. He was about to do something wonderful and something powerful that would rock the lives of all believers everywhere. He was about to pour out His Spirit on the Gentile world. It's an interesting thing. Jesus said to Peter on one particular occasion, He said, Peter, you are Peter. He called him Peter. He said, you, you are Peter. Basically, He used the Greek word that indicates a small rock. And Jesus said, upon this rock, not Peter, not what most Catholics believe where Peter is the basis, but upon this rock, that is Christ, he is the rock, I will build my church. But he also said this to Peter, he said, Peter, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom, and I often wonder what it was that was meant by that. But imagine this, Peter was the first guy to preach to all the Jews on the day of Pentecost. He went out and preached the sermon, and the Bible says, and thousands were added to the church. Peter opened up the kingdom. He gave him the keys to the kingdom. And the kingdom of God was opened up to the Jews. But here in Acts chapter 10, Peter takes the keys once again. And he opens up the kingdom of God to the Gentile world. And Peter preaches. And now it is, can be known that God is no respecter of persons. God views everybody level at the cross. When you come to Jesus Christ, you need to know there isn't anybody who's better than anybody else. It is we are all level at the cross, brothers and sisters. We are all the same. Prayer affects change. Prayer creates an atmosphere for change in the kingdom. This is why we need to pray. Not only on a, on a regular basis, on a daily basis, 
But I really believe at the end of this month, as we approach that weekend of prayer, that we are praying for God to bring about change in this body. You say, what kind of change? I don't even know. All I know is that God wants to do some important things in us, and He wants to do some important things through us. Listen, why have a church building if we can't reach out to those who are hurting and those who are lost and those who are down and out? Why have a church building if those who come here and begin to you know, really, really seek after God with all of their hearts and, and, and come into this place, they, they can't feel a sense of safety and a sense that, that there are people around them who can encourage them in the kingdom of God and encourage them to, to keep moving forward and don't be discouraged by the things of this life. Listen, so many times we get so downtrodden and, and discouraged by problems and yet isn't this supposed to be a safe place? And that can only be created through prayer. As we come together and as we reach out for more of God, God wants to show this place to be a place of safety for those who are hurting. Whether you're a believer, whether you're an unbeliever, He wants to show it to be a place of safety. We can only create that through prayer. It isn't going to be created through program. As good as programs are, the purpose they serve, but in the end, we've got to uphold Christ. In the end, we've got to call upon God and reach out to God for more of Him and say, Lord, I need, I've got to have more of You. I need more of You in my life, in my daily life, in my, my prayer time. And, and I, I've got to get a hold of You because you know what? When we get a hold of God, He's going to bring about change in our lives. He's going to begin to change us and make us more into His image. I want, I want that to, to be the mark of my life as a believer and as a Christian. And that ought to be the mark of every one of our lives. That when they look at you, when people look at you, they don't see Patricia, they don't see Obi, they don't see Joseph, they don't see Candace, they don't see Pastor Williams, but they see Jesus. That can only be done through prayer. As we give ourselves and say, Lord, I want to become more and more like you. Look, brothers and sisters, if there is anything that we can do as a believer, you say, well, I, I can't teach. I'm not a teacher. I can't sing. I'm not a singer. But I'm here to let you know that one thing you absolutely can and must do is you can pray. You can call upon God. You can cry out to God for lost souls. You can cry out to God for your brothers and sisters in Christ who are seated next to you or around you, you can begin to pray. Listen, there is no end to what it is that we could pray for. There is no end. There are so many things that we could pray for and pray about. But I believe that what God has called us to do is He has called us to pray so that it will begin to create an atmosphere for change, not only in our individual lives, but also as a body of believers, as a church. Listen, God doesn't want us to just stay the same. If we're staying the same, there's a problem with that. We're like the baby who's not growing. You know, we're like, we're like the teenager who's not getting any older. We've got to grow. We've got to mature. Not only, not only in, in our, in our you know, spirit and, and becoming a mature Christian, but also as a body. We've got to grow. Look, this city is full of people. There's so many people around us. And I believe with all my heart that what God is calling us to do is to prepare our hearts for what it is that He wants.
to accomplish in and through this church. I'd like every head bowed and every eye closed in this moment.